Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another week of our podcast, Med Family. I am Eric Acker, the host with Karen. Hey guys. So, just another kind of quick update on what's been going on. Um, basically, it hasn't been too much of a change. We've been doing ED rotations and... Karen's been managing all the doctor's appointments, which um, sounds like it's a full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we lucked out this week. We, uh, um, our, our son got an eval, um, and it was supposed to be one of six. And after talking with the doctor, she said, mm, we just need one and come back in three years and get reevaluated. So um, that made my day, <laughs> took five appointments off, and um, she said that we were going in the right direction, so he's going to start speech here soon and some physical therapy, and hopefully we will get his hearing checked and um, yeah. possibly get him some get a few OT. Things. Yeah. Get, get all, the, all the stuff lined up, which means Karen's going to turn spending a lot of time with the kids in the car, doing some schoolwork doing appointments and it's going to be fun I, i'm sure <laughs> i'm almost certain um but uh that's basically i mean there's been a lot of appointments it's uh, uh, you you breezed over it in less than in less than 60 seconds but uh, i know that's been a lot and, and it's been babysitters and lots of appointments and going to and fro and uh i think to some degree i think you were hoping that i would be more at home this week after my shifts since I have like this six to four ED shift. Um, yeah, it well, so Eric was trying to get our uh, or my car um, a better backup camera because um, it is quite large. I mean, it's a it's a twelve seater van, and um, he it's not was, what you'd call a minivan. <laughs> and he was trying to get a better. Um, screen on the dash with like Apple Play and all that stuff because it, it's almost a 10-year-old vehicle. So the navigation system that was in there and the screen that was in there was good for its time, but a little outdated. Yeah. Um, and he had gone off early on Monday and thought that he'd get it done early, but then he had to go back on Tuesday because they didn't actually install everything that we paid for. And, um, so yeah, so they, Monday, they, just, they had forgotten, well, I guess they did install the steering wheel column control thing, but like, apparently it was the wrong harness. It wasn't built for the right harness for that car. So it wasn't able to communicate. That's what the guy told me anyway. Um, but I mean, they did look at the, the receipt and like, oh yeah, you did pay for this. And so they checked on it. Um, backup cam. Yeah, I I don't know. It's hard to tell what's going on with that. I might have to just buy an aftermarket one that's and just install it myself. It doesn't look like it's all that hard to do. Um, so <laughs> he he did uh, readjust it today or remove it and reinstall in a different locations so that we could see more. They they installed it, but we it 
the visual field was like five feet off the bumper. And realistically speaking, we want the backup camera because we want to be able to know where our, our vehicle ends and where, so we won't hit things. Yeah. And so, um, we would like a field of vision that's a little bit closer to the bumper. Um, and so, yeah, we got it we down have to, that, but it still, it still feels like it's like really zoomed in. So I feel like it's still looking at like, now it's looking closer, like a f- one foot off the bumper, but you don't really get to see where the bumper is at and it's kind of zoomed in. So you, you see basically a lot of tractor cement behind the car, which is better than nothing. But before we just had basically a zoomed in shot from behind the car, which was, you know, okay, but you couldn't see anything like Karen said, five feet off the bumper. So you, if you were going to back up and somebody was behind you, 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 you weren't going to see them. Um, so where it's at now is an improvement. I'm, I don't know. I might toy with it some more and see if I can't move it to a different location on the back of the car that might give us a different view, or I might just find a different camera altogether and that will give us the view that we actually want. I think my biggest issue right now is just the zoom and I need to fix that. Anyway, that's not, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a small pet side project just to making the car a little bit more functional. It's, it's very functional as it is, but trying to make it more functional that Karen can drive where she needs to go, have navigation because we're in a new city, bigger vehicle and have hopefully less stress that as you move to and for, Oh, that you don't have to worry about where you're going or how, how messing with your phone to try to figure out where you're going. Cause that was essentially all it really had was like a, a phone mount where you can mount your phone up and look at the, the map application, which is okay. But then it, it just doesn't lend to a lot of hands-free capabilities. And I think that that would be good at this point, just a little bit more hands-free and you already have six kids, five, six kids to worry about. So <laughs> <laughs> not having to worry about something on the dashboard in a giant vehicle would be ideal. Anyway, that, that ate up a lot of time on Monday, went back on Tuesday to get a few things fixed because the steering wheel controls weren't working and the camera was reversed. Um, so that I thought was going to be quick and ended up being there till like 7.30 the next day, which was kind of a bummer. Um, yeah, so we ended up doing uh, the girls' birthday in two parts. Yeah, and I ended up watching Murder Mystery. <laughs> um, lead actor Adam Sandler and actress um, Jennifer Anston. Uh, okay. Uh, you, what she puts in friends, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I watched that like five times. Murder Mystery 1 and Murder Mystery 2. I watched those at least two times each because um, that was what they had playing in the store. And it wasn't good the first time. <laughs> it still wasn't good the other times either, but that's okay. Uh, it's, it's okay. It's, it's not my cup of tea, I guess. But um, anyway, we burned through that um we we had today off so that was nice i did i did go to didactics with the ev people um for kind of a few different reasons so one in the paperwork for like how to put you know what what the expectations are are for the the ed rotations it it's written for both off-service residents and uh, medical students and they don't really make a lot of different differentiations between like when they're talking about 
medical students and when they're talking about off-service residents. Because uh, like there's one part where they're like, oh, make sure your attendees scan your barcode or your QR code to do an evaluation. And all I think it was like, I can't imagine why I would need to have every attending do an evaluation after the end of a shift. And I haven't seen any other residents doing it. So no, uh, but the med, med students do it, which is fine. That I means med students need evaluations and that's, it's helpful to them to, to have all that for the MSP. MSPE, I think is the acronym for that. Um, they have their slows if they're uh, going to do... Or slows too, yeah. If they're going to apply for... Um, ED. ED, yeah. Uh, yeah, so... But in the in the packet, it mentions mandatory ED didactics, and I haven't really gone. Um, part of my excuse was, I think, the last week was... Um, I got off of... I think I got off at, like, six. I was doing the, I was doing the night shift, and it's like, I, I was going to, there was no way I was going to hang out for two hours at the hospital after doing a 10, 12 hour shift and do four hours of ED didactics. That just wasn't going to happen. So, and from what I heard from um, a friend of mine who's in the ED program, they don't expect the PM, the night shift people to show up to ED didactics, but it's fine. So I didn't show up. So, um, I, so that was one reason uh, it was unclear what the expectation was. And I felt like. Um, if it was written in there and it's possibly could be read as I should show up, then I probably should show up. Um, uh, additionally, uh, a lot of people ha that have gone to the ED didactics tend to like them quite a bit. They find them enjoyable and interesting. And so, uh, I'm always interested in, I, I, truth, truth be told, our emergency, our internal medicine didactics could be better. Um, <laughs> there is some good shining parts of our didactics and I think are good strengths and then there's a lot of weaknesses uh, and we could be better at doing and so my thought process was like well I want to make our pro our program better and our didactics better but um, sometimes having ideas from different programs and how they do their things is always helpful and beneficial so I was going to go to the ED and everyone seems to really like the ED didactics, not just because they have free food, but <laughs> <laughs> they're tending to work out money and make sure that they feed the, their residents. But I mean, they also have less residents to feed than we do. We have 20 per year, so 60 total, plus transitional, plus students, so ends up being a lot. Like 90 or so. Yeah, yeah. It, could, it could be a lot uh, if everyone shows up. But ED, I think, has like eight or nine per year and they have four years so they have around 30 something they can't have up to 30 something residents i think I, I, it's probably a little bit less i'm not sure i didn't i haven't really counted um but anyway the food wasn't the only thing they, they always thought about like all the fun things that they do during didactics the training and the conversation you know their presentations are good so i was like oh should go see what it's all about um and uh, let's see, that was the, the second reason. Um, I think that was basically one of the reasons I had. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if you if you are interested in what they do, <laughs> you can follow their Instagram. They do have a specific Instagram for Cape Fear Valley um, emergency medicine, emergency medicine um, and a lot of times they highlight what they do on their didactics. And so, then they'll highlight certain residents as well. And give them a spotlight. It's kind of cool. It's a nice little social media thing that they do. Yeah. Um, I believe there are other programs that do that. Um, uh, I think 
Well, the program we were looking at in Mississippi, Magnolia, I think did that as well. They do that, and I think Creighton does that as well, um, but I'm not <clears throat> entirely certain if it's the IM program with Creighton or not. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah. But I had followed a bunch of different programs when we were applying. And trying to figure out which and, ones are in the rank order and all that fun stuff. Yeah, so it's fun to kind of see what each program does. And granted... Eric's IM program, this is the first year that, with this director, he's been a I think he started a, a little before. bit last year, the year before, so he's like a year and plus year into it, I think. Yeah, so there are some changes being made, and I kind of anticipate Sorry. that he will probably get some sort of social media something going at some point, because he has his own podcast. And is into that. Um, he does like training videos on ultrasound and stuff like that. Yeah, but I just think that's further down the road. They're kind of focusing on making the program a little bit better. Um, I think last week in didactics, they kind of took everybody out. Um, all the faculty. All the faculty out and were like, okay, what can we do to make this better? What do you want to see? And they were taking notes. and. Yeah, our program coordinator... Was doing a really good job. She, it's something that she did when she was the psychiatry program coordinator, and the psychiatry program I think is pretty well liked as well. Uh, and so they were doing the same for us. Uh, she was trying to get us kind of on the same page. You know, uh, a lot of times it's kind of hard to if you haven't been in the situation, it's hard to imagine. But you, there's always a lot of complaints in general, like "Oh, this is broken. This doesn't work. This is frustrating." And a lot of times, like when I worked, when I wasn't in medicine, I like working at Red Robin, working in, well, I guess working at a medical facility. A lot of times, workers in general, we like to complain, and we, you know, there's very obvious problems that we see, and um, we talk amongst ourselves, unless we talk about it, and it's very obvious. But then, like management has no idea because nobody really tells management, and so. Some of the things that they would say is like, well, we can't fix what's broken unless we know it's broken. So if you're actually out of something or you don't have the equipment you need, we got to find out what it is. And so that was part of what it was, was what's not working well. And like part of it was like, hey, there's a little kitchenette where all the resident um, team ward uh, floor teams are. There's a little kitchenette and it's filthy and disgusting and nobody wants to use anything because it's filthy and disgusting. Uh, so they're going to, you know, as we do in America, we throw everything away. Nobody wants to clean it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, they're going to get us set up with certain, you know, better equipment and with the, of course, the expectation that we will have to maintain it from here on out. And then, you know, oh, certain, I mean, there's other things that are like smaller things. Like the fan was very loud in one of the rooms. It makes it hard for residents to hear during rounds. Uh, that was an 8 South, because <laughs> that was my room. But they worked on fixing the fan to make it quieter. Uh, they There's a, a floor team that has like basically a little closet that they live out of, and they're trying to make that more hospitable, give them, make sure that they have phones that they can actually use, make sure that the um, the when they call out codes or rapid responses over the intercom, that actual resident rooms can hear it because there's one room apparently on the floor that once you close once you close the door you can't hear anything 
Oh. And so and they might be on the floor in their room and a rapid response be called at a room just across the hall and they will have no clue what's going on. So <laughs> they're trying to fix that. I mean, just, I don't think anything's bad has happened out of it, but it certainly is like, this is potential for this not to be great. And then they're just working on different things to make our lives better. But, you know, having these information sessions and feedback sessions where we can speak very openly and frankly about things uh, is is helpful. Uh. Yeah. Well, and another thing that they did was they were asking like, okay, so what rotations should first year interns not have or um, have later on in the yeah, year? Yeah. What's good to start? What's not good to start with? And um, I think the answer was a little surprising to me. Yeah. Um, and but it's all feedback from like second and third year residents who have a little bit more of a long sight or a long view of things. Because like you know, when I started like I started on neurology, and then I um, I don't even know what I ended up. I think going back to eight south or something like that. Yeah, it was neuro, then it was eight south, and then um, continuity, and then <sighs> admits. Um, yeah, something... I can't remember after that. <laughs> uh, ID, we, we, a whole bunch of different stuff. But yeah. um, their recommendation, and the program coordinator, I, I'm sure we'll look into it, is essentially that... Um, and it wasn't something I thought I thought would be the thing. Their recommendation is that residents starting on nights or starting on... Um, oh, I forgot what it was. Uh, admits, or I think admits and nights were... Maybe some of the rotations they thought were good. They didn't think that electives was a good place for people to start. And certainly ICU was not a good place for residents to start. Um, essentially, the rationale was that on nights, uh, you are managing a bunch of patients. And so that is a little intimidating. But you generally have a senior resident. And that senior resident, you can bounce questions off of. You can see how things are done. You do admissions. So you do have some stuff you have to do. So you learn how to do the admissions, you learn how to respond to different calls during the night, and during the course of the night, you're, of course, reading the progress notes that the residents wrote for the day and day before, so you are getting an idea of what a progress note should look like and what you would want out of it. And so you're learning kind of a whole bunch of different things without actually having to be, I mean, you're in you're over you know, 20, 30 patients, or 15 patients, not, I don't know, it depends on the floor, I suppose, but you're not having to manage like seven patients intimately and having to round and present. You're just, you're reading that bottom, something comes up, you know what you need to order, what you need to do, you know a little bit of the backstory so you can make sure you make the appropriate decision. So uh, that was something I, I wasn't expecting because, you know, nights are in my mind, <laughs> I worked it up in my mind that it's going to be intimidating. You're going to have uh, 20 patients that could be calling the nurses and the nurses calling you and asking, you know, what are we going to do about this? Like the blood pressure is this, heart rate's this, or they have an apneic episode, they're agitated or this, you know, sundowning. And so uh, a lot of, a lot of different things that could happen at night, but that to me seemed intimidating, but apparently uh, it's a good learning. It's a good kind of first steps into the program. So that was one recommendation that they had. Um, I think the program is going to change our, our format a little bit again. And we're on a four-to-one uh, schedule. We do four weeks of something. So whether that's 
your core rotation of inpatient wards or it's four weeks on emergency medicine and then one week of continuity clinic. Our program is going to switch to, a, I think, a six to two is what they're talking about. And that's basically four weeks of something core, so four weeks of floors, four weeks, four weeks of ICU, something like that. Two weeks of an elective, two weeks of continuity clinic, um, which I think was still back to like the half, half days and whatnot. And then when you come out of it, so that, that would have completed six. Mm-hmm. So then you go two, two of electives, four of something core, and two weeks of continuity. And then you just kind of keep doing that throughout the year. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, I like the four to one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, as I understand it, the, the scheduling process of it and how to juggle all the schedules is more com- complicated with a four to one. That's how the program coordinators were talking about that a six to two might actually be easier to do scheduling and make things a little bit more balanced throughout the year. Because part of the issue they're having right now is that um, there are certain teams that have a lot of residents and like I think the admit team has like a good number of residents while the inpatient teams sometimes are struggling to have enough residents to cover. So it just makes things more complicated. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, well, and it sounds like they're going to um, kind of do a preset schedule and then... Um, possibly. Possibly. It's, it, it's a possibility. I know there are some some programs like Creighton does that where you... you once you, you're a, a resident, they'll send you like 40 or 30 schedules or something like that. And, and you, you bid you, on them essentially. Yeah. And it already has like your time off in there, so yeah, we'll see we'll what see next year brings. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's going to be different and interesting. I don't know. I I appreciate that they're willing to take feedback, that they're willing to make adjustments, and there were certainly some concerns and questions regarding like the continuity clinic and hot seat and all that fun stuff, and um, so a lot of changes there. Um, what else? Yeah, so that that was a lot of the our didactics. We I mean we had other things we talked about as well, but I did want to kind of circle back to the ED didactics just in general because there were some I think good points from that. Them. They did something called uh, worst case scenario. Um, it wasn't. It was a little bit more interactive. They they broke the the large group into three smaller groups, and they had attendees rotating through doing a case presentation and a teaching point. So they each had a different case, a different teaching point. And depending on the attending, depending on, you know, how, how they ran it. But essentially it it sounded a little bit more like a morning report where they would present a case. They would, you know, this patient comes in with this these symptoms. You know, what what would you like to order? This is what we did order. This is how the case progressed. And, you know, asking different questions in and out of the procedure or the of the case. But at the end of the day, just kind of showing like things to watch out for, pit, uh, pitfalls and pearls <laughs> that um, they found. This, these are real cases, essentially, which is you know, still what we do in morning report. Anyway, we pick, try to pick interesting cases and present them, um, and we try to be interactive. But they did a pretty good job of it and having a very fine-focused, not just broad, like, oh, ascending cholangitis, this is what we got to do. Like, for example, one of the uh, teaching points was regarding older patients with, who are diabetic. Um, 
that they they sometimes can present very weird where they have like this one patient was just nausea and vomiting and that was really about all the symptoms they had and but when they looked over did a full exam they like one one pupil was blown and but the rest of the neuro exam was normal they kept you know working up the patient and eventually they came to the conclusion it was like acute angled glaucoma but the patient didn't have like searing pain of the eye or anything like that because they were diabetic and apparently and they're older so apparently th- these things didn't show up on for the patient but like it was obviously causing them some kind of discomfort enough to cause them to start just vomiting so and just an interesting presentation something to kind of keep in the back of your mind when you have these patients that um you know that coming in with nausea and vomiting and not a whole lot of anything else is showing up on the physical exam that maybe check the eyeballs you know <laughs> see if the pupils are blown well i feel like and i granted i'm not a medical professional by any sense of the means but i feel like the really young and the really old present significantly differently than those yeah, you have these like board questions where it's like you're, you're atypical, you're, you're very typical presentation of this. And like you have the board questions where the person like fits the norm, normal presentation. But like you said, like you get to these older ages, maybe a little bit of dementia is in there. Maybe there's other comorbidities that are preventing the full scope of symptoms to show up that you don't really get a great picture. The other kind of oddball group is any intellectual disability, uh, whether that's like autism or Down syndrome or whatever, like those patients can also can present very oddly. Like they can have some pretty wild stuff that, um, I mean, like we, we learned about a little bit of it in med school, like, oh, this patient has, I think it was like Down syndrome and they could have like fecal impatchins, they can have like Hirschsprungs, uh, like there's a whole, oh, there's like, um, I want to say B cell lymphoma. I, I should have been more prepared for this if I was going to start going on this route, but <laughs> like there's like lymphomas that can occur or kind of more unique to this patient population or more, um, pathognomonic. So, uh, just something that again, keep in mind, <laughs> these patients are, are odd. They're sometimes harder to work with, especially in the elderly and the ED, the one thing that I did appreciate, I do appreciate about the ED is that when they talk about like some of these older patients, like sometimes it's like, it's really hard to not, to know what's going on. Cause these people will just walk in with very benign symptoms, but they're obviously causing some kind of problem, but you really can't put your finger on it. Like there's something wrong <laughs> and the patient's not telling you what's wrong. And so you, you have to treat some, and you know, obviously, I'm internal medicine. I don't work with kids, but um, when kids come in, you have to kind of work with the physical exam and do the best you can, um, and kind of let the physical exam kind of guide a lot of your stuff and so whatever history your parents can give you. But like, the, some kids can't really always tell you what's wrong with them and really communicate in a, a good way. But also there are some older population people who cannot communicate very well what's wrong with them and give you a good history. Like I, I've had a few patients uh, recently that that they like one fell and hurt themselves and they could they even know they fell. They didn't even know like they didn't lose consciousness or anything. They just they got bumped and fell over and 
And two hours later, if you ask them about the situation, they had no idea what happened. They just know that they hurt. And so it's um, difficult. And then the other, one of the other pearls they were kind of mentioning was like, and this is maybe more of an ED pearl, but um, oftentimes a patient comes to the ED in a certain amount of distress. Um, there's a bit of an inclination to give them relief. And so that's always nice, you know, nice for the patient. And if they're in a lot of pain, to get some pain medication to deal with that. But sometimes they could do a little bit too much where the patient is very chill. Like <laughs> they, they were screaming in pain when they came in and now they're sleeping. And then, of course, like you bring in your specialty services, like, hey, this patient needs to be admitted. They have all these things wrong with them. And then the, pa- the person comes in and it's like they're sleeping. Like they look perfectly fine. <laughs> like it's hard to wake them up. Uh, and like it, you don't really get a good clear sick picture, and then of course they can't do a good evaluation because now the patient's like complete is is too mellowed out. And I don't know how else to say it besides like they're you can wake them up, but they're kind of groggy. They're kind of they're high. In, uh, in in some <laughs> sense, you need some sort of pain response in order to do your physical examination and yeah. know how bad something is. You got to take the edge off. I don't do don't do too good of a job in some cases. <laughs> um, and that's, I mean, that's true for the floors, too. Uh, the floors, you uh, don't want to snow out your patients to the point where they're just, you know, vegetables. and Because uh, you could be hiding other things. That you could be, it's just like in heart attacks. Um, so they talk a lot about this in heart attacks. Like, it's the uh, LMNOP. Um, uh, I can't remember the right one, but there's a different acronym. But one is like morphine. So it's like usually it's like, yeah, morphine, I think, is the one. That's the most controversial one because it's like you can use the level of pain and discomfort as kind of a guide of the clinical presentation or the clinical severity. But if you give them a whole bunch of pain medications and really suppress any pain that they're feeling, well, you don't know if their heart attack is getting worse or if they're, you know, sometimes you just kind of push it down so far that, you can kind of lose sight of what the clinical picture, so you don't want to do too much. <laughs> you don't you don't want the patient to suffer either. But at the same time, you don't if without good signs that the patient's doing worse or having a, a a downturn, you could be doing yourself a disservice. Anyway, so that was another kind of thing that the ED talked about. They talked a little bit about um, when to switch from nasal cannula to high flow nasal cannula. Um, I'll need to do some more research on it just as far as uh, this, the context was regarding kids. So <laughs> I need the research to make sure that the parameters that they discussed were applicable to adults or if I need to find different parameters that are more applicable to adults. I mean, like there were some cutoffs. Like if, I, if your nasal cannula is FiO2 of 35 and you they're still breathing rapidly or not able to saturate at 100%, don't just turn the nasal cannula up, switch them to high flow. That was something for the pediatrics. Uh, and then they also talked about you put a pediatric, pediatric patient on high flow nasal cannula um, and you hit that, there's a max, I forgot what the rate was, but if you hit the, you've kind of gotten up to the max and you reassess them every 20 minutes and they're not really getting better, it, even if they're doing the same, they should be getting better uh, for one. <laughs> so if you're, you're applying treatment and they're not getting better, and then they're staying the same, then it doesn't mean just stay with the treatment. It means make an adjustment. Uh, and then, especially in this particular case, uh, then 
possibly do BiPAP or CPAP. So it was good to see when to escalate because I'll be honest, like there's plenty of times when patient is on the floor and respiratory distress and not, you know, they have a BiPAP and it's like, okay, they have a BiPAP, great. And then nurses wean them off onto nasal cannula and you're like, okay, great, nasal cannula. Uh, <laughs> and then they start doing worse and they're like, oh, should it be high flow or should it be nasal cannula? And I'm just like, I don't know. The, like, this hasn't been something that I've had to deal with, but I've seen other patients being presented during rounds that, um, you know, is it, is it nasal cannula or high flow nasal cannula? And in the back of my mind, I'm just like, I don't know. I know there's a difference, but I don't know when to apply the difference. So I need to go back and look it up. But that was a good good topic that the ED residents reviewed. And again, they talked about kids. So again, I'm sure that there are protocols in place for adults. Or maybe it's the same protocols. I don't know. <laughs> um, but the ED, they, of course, they deal with pediatrics. I don't... And, in my shifts, I am on the fl- on the the zones that are adult only. That don't go into the pediatric wing, which is just fine. Um, not being not having been trained in pediatrics, besides my pediatric rotation in third year. Um, well, and having <laughs> having experience bringing our kiddos to um, the emergency room or to the doc- urgent care when they've gotten hurt, there's it's not it's it, bless bless those doctors <laughs> that do that. I don't think that I could just dealing see with our a sick kids kiddo and you're dealing with parents. Like it's just none of none of the above is great. Um, my one of my critiques is they did a, a more morbidity, morbidity mortality, and again, just like in ours, we can't really go into too many specifics in it. Um, my biggest critiques on their M and M conference was where ours it felt like there was a tangible. Hey, this didn't go well. This this should have probably been caught, and we should have done something different. Theirs was kind of this was a adverse result. This was not you know this was not how it probably would have been. We would have liked it to have gone, but none of the attendings and none of the other people, after reviewing the case and presenting everything. The basic statement was, and I, I tend to agree with it, was that anyone would have made the same decisions. <laughs> and um, like the clinical picture wasn't very clear. And so anyone, any one of the attendings or any one of the doctors would have made the same decisions along the way that, you know, that there was really no red flag or something that popped up that, you know, until it did, until they did see something that would have prompted them to change treatment course or change how they were managing the patient and working them up in the ED. And so my critique really there is like, it's great, it's an interesting case, but (laughs) my impression of morbidity mortality cases is that it really needs to be, hey, this is where a process broke down. This is where something should have gotten caught and didn't, and we need to be aware of this. Like, where maybe in ours, the message was recheck vitals, make sure that your patient is good to go before you send them home. And debatable or controversially, you should argue if you're attending about whether you should discharge a patient. Uh, <laughs> again, debatable. And uh, we went into some detail when we talked about it. But at least there was... I felt like in our M&M, there was a tangible 
takeaway message and something to really chew on. And in this, in the ED one, there was certainly something to think about, but it was like so remote that it's like, sure, you would maybe add looking at the vitals a little bit closer before you send the patient home, but would that push you to do an MRI? Would that push you to do advanced imaging? Would that push you to get a, a specialist consult in these this patient population? Would you really think of this diagnosis? And so it's, I again, I'm trying to kind of tiptoe around it a little bit because I know it's not supposed to be a, it's not supposed to be something that we discuss and do outside of the conference. So I'm just generally critiquing the conference as a whole. But, but so I wonder if the difference is, and you can take this with a grain of salt, but I wonder if the difference is, is a lot of times the ED can be used <laughs> um, by those who either don't have insurance or... Is often used, is, you mean? Yeah. yeah <laughs> is often used uh, in, incorrectly. <laughs> um, and so a lot of times, um, you have a high, uh, ratio of patients that come in and obviously you have your, your red zone, your green zone, your yellow zone, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and so a lot of times in the ED, I feel like it's okay. These either you're determining whether you admit somebody or you send them home and refer them to somebody else. And so I think a lot of times the idea behind treatment is different than that of, um, an I am mentality. Cause yeah, I I mean, again, broadly speaking, like my critique isn't like, this is obviously workup related issues, treatment, Really, like, uh, there was no real treatment. There was symptomatic management that was done along the way. But there wasn't really any definitive treatment done until the very end, which, you know, again, appropriate. Uh, What they did was appropriate. (laughs) And it, to me, is like, I don't know, I like my M&M conferences where you can point out issues and you can learn from them. And... uh, I guess you could make the argument in this particular case, you learn something you to keep a certain differential in the back of your mind. Okay, that's fine. But isn't that just a case of case presentation? Isn't yeah. that just a, hey, this is something that was interesting, unique that you don't see very often. Whereas I feel like M&M conferences are like, hey, there was a breakdown. <laughs> this did not end well. And I mean, morbidity and mortality. So usually this means morbidity, like, this patient has a, de- a deficiency or some sort of really ill, ill thought, uh, ill outcome, like an outcome that we would not have liked for the patient to have yeah. had. And it, it, it's not just because of the patient's condition that the patient has this outcome. It's because of how we cared for the patient that the outcome is not where we would have liked it to be. And mortality, obviously, is like they yeah. died. Yeah. <laughs> so. Versus this this case, which that wasn't the case. Yeah. And it, it, it's not always the patient died. I mean, it's not always that. But, like, we have to learn from how we care for patients and how we can improve processes and make it better for everyone. It's supposed to be a learning process, not, a, not an accusation or anything like that. So I just th- thought that the ED M&M 
I could have packed a little bit more of a punch, but because again, I, I, they're not perfect. I know I, in internal medicine, we're not perfect, and <laughs> nobody is perfect in the residency programs. And so, again, you're trying to learn, you're trying to grow. Um, sometimes having these tough conversations, uh, I, I I think that there's probably some pretty legitimate cases that they could have pulled up and and discussed. And this one, I think, would have been just a good case report. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and you don't know. I mean, obviously, this is the first week of didactics. The, the one Indeed. I've gone to. Yeah, yeah, the one that he's gone to. So, in other weeks, it could have been different, but. Yeah, you well, may, they don't do them every to... week, but you know, yeah, we do them periodically. We we had ours, I think, once, and then we might have another one in a few weeks or something like that. So you have them periodically, but yeah, I mean, this is just a one. You know, you this is a one data point. You know, you fly in, <laughs> you you see things, you take notes, and you leave. Um, there's other kind of data points I kind of walked away with, but that's more very program specific and um, just kind of inter-program politicking, uh, if you will. Yeah. But that is, I think, to be expected and not really anything I can do anything about. So <laughs> <laughs> um, generally speaking, the rotation, I think, it is good. Um, I've definitely learned a lot. I feel like I've seen a good amount of critically ill patients and trying to deal with, you know, work with them, work them up, treat them, manage them in the ED, and, of course, getting a little bit better at my presentations on getting patients to hospitalists and other specialists that might need to see the patient um, either prior to discharge or at least prior to admission. And so that in that regard, it's been good. Uh, there, there's still some things that kind of bug me a little bit. Um, and I, I understand this isn't really meant to be a hard critique on emergency medicine, but just a, a frustration um, because like we're, I'm an intern, I'm six months into being a doctor and whatnot, <laughs> and uh, and I'm also off service. So, in the if you if I was an emergency medicine resident, an intern with their within that program, I would have been going to trauma conferences. I would have been learning how to do trachs. I would have been learning how to do intubations and all these things, uh, all these skill sets that we do learn throughout a medical career. But we don't practice it and practice it at nauseum uh, because, generally speaking, we, you know, depending on your specialty, you don't have to do it very often. And in the emergency department, they are called upon to do a lot of these procedures very often, and they are very happy to do like chest tubes and intubations and central lines, all sorts of different things. They love doing that stuff. Um, and honestly, I would like to do some of that stuff. But in a large extent, they, you know, the. In the emergency residency program, they are training their interns from day one to do a lot of this stuff. And when an off-service resident intern comes in, uh, there's really not a lot of, I think, expectation or there's not a lot of confidence on skill set and knowledge base. And so we kind of serve a function, I think. <laughs> we uh, one function, of course, is our education. We learn how the ED, and we gain an appreciation for how they function and they work and how they how they uh, work our patients so that when I see a patient on the floor that came through the ED, then I can at least go, I think I understand how this patient got here and what the ED did, even if maybe I would have wished they would have added a few extra labs or did a you know, further evaluation or workups. Um including more information, whatever it is, but at least I can appreciate, like, it's busy down there. They're, they're constantly seeing patients and trying to make decisions 
relatively quickly on the destination of these patients. Are they being admitted? Are they being discharged? And what kind of workups are necessary? And they're sometimes starting out with very little information and trying to make uh, <laughs> paint a better picture for whoever's to come next. Uh, so I will. I can say like I have gained certainly an appreciation. I think that's essentially the goal of this pro, uh, of this rotation. Of course, there's you know treating patients and learning medicine and stuff like that. That is also the goal, but they don't have. I think I think they don't have a lot of confidence that the off service residents are going to be very good, and so they don't really put a lot of responsibility on them. So while and while and. Uh, while, while and ED intern might be able to see a patient, evaluate them, do the ED, update the ED course, and then start orders. They tend to want me to just, you know, report to the attending, which is fine. I can do that. And then the attending half the time is doing all the orders or has put in all the orders before I even have presented. And sometimes I just feel like I'm a really good, glorified fourth-year medical student. And that is very frustrating because... Um, well, I, I do not think I am an exceptionally great doctor. Uh, I'm an intern, so <laughs> I think I'm about average for an intern. Uh, I have lots of improvement, but I also feel like I'm not a fourth-year medical student. Um, <laughs> so Well, and he has been asked, he has asked to be taught how to do, like... If you're going to do a peripheral IV, like, with ultrasound guidance, like... I've been taught how to do it. I would like to do it. And I'll be honest, I was a little um, a little offended because there was a patient I was treating that needed a peripheral IV and under ultrasound, and another resident had come in to see the patient because it was a relatively critically ill patient, relatively. Um, nothing that we needed to rush to the OR or anything like that. But that resident brought in the fourth-year medical student who is auditioning for an ED rotation, and they've been teaching her how to do a peripheral IV. And so instead of my patient and I get to do the procedures on my patient, they let the medical student do the procedure instead. And part of me is like, I'm a, I should be a little offended here. Like, this is my patient. This is my procedure. I should have gotten to do that. Like I should have had at least had the opportunity to, um, and not that I, you know, it's good for the fourth year. If I was a fourth year medical student, I would be ecstatic, but it definitely comes across as like, well, because she's auditioning for emergency medicine and she wants to be in this program because she's got a personal connection with the, the hospital. Uh, I think her fiance is a, in the surgery residency. So she wants to be here and they seem, seem to like her quite a bit that they're going to favor her over an off-service resident, which is a little frustrating. Um, it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> you can be frustrated and mad and then let that ruin your entire day, or you can just kind of shrug it off and be like, okay, well, next time, I'll we'll try to be more forceful. We'll try to make sure people know I want to actually do stuff. Um, I don't know. I, it, I'm not sure what the... I haven't really asked him, but it does, it does kind of feel very much like the expectation for us is very, very low. Sorry, Evie is, we are keeping her from screaming, so <laughs> making progress. Anyway, um, the expectation seems to be pretty low for us, and I would like it to be a little bit higher. I would like us to feel like we can actually function as doctors, because when ED residents come to our floors, we expect them to function as doctors. Um, but 
Anyway. <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. Um, it, it's a, I mean, again, I can't really complain terribly hard because, you know, I got two days off in a row. I had like a day off uh, yes, last week. I had like four days off in a row the week before. So like realistically, I have more days off <laughs> in a four-week window than I would have had on my inpatient services. So I, I really can't complain too loudly at this moment. It's not that bad. Um, I just, I think there's room for improvement and that's essentially, I think what I'm trying to get at is that there's places for improvement in myself and in, in this rotation. So anyway, um, so I apologize, uh, I guess along the way, if you've heard us coughing and, and you've heard Evie, uh, um, chatting up a little bit, but that's, uh, that that's just kind of how it is. We're, I think we're we kind of rounded the bend. We're not feeling sick anymore, but we still have some stuff that we're kind of getting out of our system. So I apologize for that. I'm sure it's annoying, and uh, I'll be completely straight up and honest. I'm just going to publish this after minor edits. I am probably not going to go through and find all the coughs and edit those out like that one. Um, <laughs> you're just going to have to hear it. I'm sorry. Um, there's limited time for editing, <laughs> but we appreciate you guys listening. You can follow us on MedFamilyMD. Feel free to ask us any questions through Instagram. Um, we will uh, try our best to answer, um, either through Instagram or on the podcast. And if there's anything that you would like to hear, please let us know. Um, and we're going to try and get some other things up here soon. <laughs> we keep saying that, but we would we would like to have some more special episodes or um, special topics or something special like topics that. going we'll, forward. We'll work on it. <laughs> we'll see. We have, we have kind of a few rougher, you know, more um, busier weeks ahead of us, so we will try our best. Anyway, we will see you guys next week. Bye.